listeners, welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters who are seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And it's season three, episode 61. Whoa, season three. This is our third season. <laughs> this is it's not an arbitrary number. <laughs> <laughs> that That is what the third season means. It's the third one. It's the third. You have listened to an arbitrary number of this podcast three times over. <laughs> I I would hope so. I actually... Um, I guess you're you just listening for the first time. Yeah, That's I, possible. I actually uh, <laughs> encourage new listeners not to listen to episode one. You really don't need to. It's you're, really not like episodic in any way. No. It's not like the seasons follow like a, a trend. We don't have like a um, a story that's nope. unfolding or anything. Nope. You could really just listen to whatever episode. Honestly, all you have to do is look for buzzwords. I mean, if you just want to look for spells, spell names, or yeah. if you're like, man, it's feeling like an M day today. I'm going to find an episode that starts with an M. Do you, do you, do you categorize your days by the letter that they feel like? Is that nope. a... Is that a way in which you yeah. conceptualize? No, your I days? categorize my I categorize my days by the um the underwear I wear. Are they are they labeled by the day of the week? Oh hell yeah, day of the week undies. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever have a day of the week? I undies? never did, and I feel like there's a joke about day of the week undies that people like make fun of people who have day of the week undies. But to me, that just makes sense. I don't know. Well, you it have makes Mondays, sense. Undies that tell you what day they well, are. Well, it makes it makes sense if you are constantly changing them and actually adhering to the day of the week and making sure you're rotating out your underwear. But if is you, that the purpose of the day of the week? Undies? Yeah, it's so oh. that like you have clean underwear every day. You have a set of underwear for every day of the week, and then when it's Sunday, you wash them all again, and then on Monday you start again, right? So is it a cleanliness thing? Yeah. Oh. Well, you're supposed to change your underwear every day, Adam. I don't know if you know I this. I change my underwear every day. That's <laughs> why the cleanliness thing doesn't make any sense to me. I just assume everybody changes their underwear every but day. But I feel like the trope is that if you get caught wearing the wrong day of the week underwear, oh. people start going, ew, those because are you're, Tuesdays. Because you're not good at scheduling. No. That's why that's, that's they're saying, this guy can't get a hold of his calendar. <laughs> He must have done his laundry on a Friday instead. Oh, Where's your leap year underwear? Come on, man. Get with the times. Why is there no leap weekday? What do you mean? Why why we have a we have a day that's added onto our calendars, but we don't have a day that's added onto the day of the week. Well we should have a, we ha we should have a uh flobster day. <laughs> don't you remember from um Doug? did you ever watch Doug? Yeah. That was there, a great show. There was an episode where he was Quail Man, and somehow he like rotated it and made a um, extra day of the week, and they called it like Fun Day. That that sounds perfect. Yeah, it should be a weekend. We need more weekends. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a third weekend day, and they called it Fun Day. Yeah, I think the extra day every leap year should be a, hol a major holiday, and everybody should take it off. Well, it is, isn't it? No, not really. It's Leap Day, Williams. This is leap Day, Williams. <laughs> For those of you who don't get that reference, it's a deep cut reference to 30 Rock, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't even appear until like almost the last season of 30 Rock or something. Oh, Leap Day Williams. Leap Day Williams. It's, it's pretty awesome. Hey, let's get started with season three. Season three. So we're going we're gonna to play it up a little bit. Adam doesn't know, but I made changes to the schedule. What? Yep. You change things? I, I'm, I, listen. I am the star of this show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yep. 
Okay, uh, keep already, going. I already know I'm in deep. <laughs> I'm yeah. in too deep. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have a guest room. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going to go any further with that. Nope. <laughs> I've already started digging. Yep. Dig, dig up, you fool. Dig up, you fool. <laughs> this parachute is a knapsack. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to get started with next session help as usual. This next session help question comes from random dude 92919. Wow. You know, funny story. This is my favorite random dude. Oh. Yeah, 92919. Nine, nine, At least you could get his name right. Yeah, right? <laughs> After I've known him for so many years. <laughs> He's the uh, nine. Nope. <laughs> Never mind. I'm trying to math and I can't math. <laughs> I was going to say he's like the ninety second thousand nine hundred and eighteenth better than everybody else. He is. Yeah. He is. If you've met him, that is exactly how he is. So random dude nine two nine one nine asks trolls. It's not really a question. <laughs> trolls. <random dude. laughs> I have four players, oh, all on level four: a cleric, a barbarian, a monk, and a wizard. The wizard has a couple of fire spells. The others have nothing that does acid or fire damage. I want them to encounter a troll in a cave in the mountains. I want it to be a tough fight, but not that tough that someone dies. Should I use one or two trolls? Oh, this is a great question. So, two trolls in the mountain. Okay. There's a <laughs> With the rope. <laughs> It was it was Mrs. Peacock. <laughs> oh no, um, my gut feeling says one troll and uh, scatter in other things. There's a raw answer to this. It rules as written answer. Yes. Okay. Raw raw for those who don't know stands for it's R A W stands for rules as written. Um, it's not like W W E raw. And I will tell you, I do not know the raw answer for this. Okay. Because I would need to go look it up. Um, the this is not that podcast. This is not that <laughs> podcast. Um, there there is a raw answer. So there are actually a ton of tools out there that I totally encourage you to use. You can use Encounter Builders. D and D Beyond actually has an Encounter Builder. Um, there are uh, Don John's amazing website. It also has a, a an Encounter Builder there. And we There's, have Don John as a, a resource on our website. Um. So there are actually all these encounter builders that are specifically designed for taking the level of character and then comparing them against the challenge rating of monsters and even being able to to figure out, like, what if I have a mix of monsters? How many of this challenge rating and of this challenge rating? And I think, I suspect that Alyssa is actually right, where um, I, if you want to make it a hard fight, it would be one troll and then some other stuff. You know, a, a couple of small goblins that have been... Hanging out with this troll or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we, we reference it a lot, but think of the cave troll in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Fellowship of the Ring, the fight there. Which is a great example. You know, if you want to add two trolls, suddenly that fight is way, way, way harder. But keeping in mind that in Fellowship of the Ring, there's nine of them versus four of your characters. That's true. <laughs> so are they a bunch of level twos? I have no idea, actually. What level are... That's a whole other podcast. That's I mean, a can of worms. Gandalf is supposed to be the super powerful wizard, but all he ever does is cast a light. Well, he's <laughs> le- he's... Lower level right there. because he's, he's got a lot Gandalf- of history now. No, he's Gandalf the Grey. He's Gandalf the Grey. he comes back, he's leveled. He's only he's only like a level. He hasn't even gotten his specialty yet. No. A, <laughs> Seriously, a, I, I'm sorry for opening this can of worms. You, I'm sorry. Random dude, I, I, I blame you. <laughs> okay, um, okay. So the, that's the rules as written answer. I would say there are actually a ton of charts that you should consult. I'm not going to bother looking them up right now. Um, I would probably tell you, 
fight one troll and then fight a couple of smaller things that make sense to exist in a cave and make sense to be along a troll. And, However, oh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and your troll doesn't have to be exactly the stats of the troll. So, for example, if they start killing the troll really fast, he can summon another troll, or he can be super powerful. Wait, like he calls another troll yeah, who's like in the back room? Okay. I, I I was picturing that he like casts a troll spell and, no. and makes another troll appear. As far as I know, there's troll magic doesn't work that it way. It doesn't really work no. that way. No, I was thinking. No, I've been playing a lot of. Hair. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of um uh Zelda Skyward Sword. Oh yeah. And the Bob Bob Goblins. Bob 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 Boba Goblins. Probably, but I like to call them Bob. Bob so they're Bob they're all Bob. Yeah. And leader Bob will um, sometimes if there's a leader Bob around, they have a little horn and they call for more Bobs and they go Bob, <laughs> more Bobs come. That's brilliant. Yes, I love that. Um, no one, I don't have a Twitch channel because no one would want to watch me play. But sometimes I, would totally I think watch you play maybe somebody would want to watch me play because I have ridiculous commentary. <laughs> um, so, so that's there's a rules as written answer. The answer I actually want to give you is don't follow the rules of, as written. Um, the, the fight in Lord of the Rings is probably too many. If you, if you were to run that as a, as a Dungeons and Dragons game, it is probably too many monsters or it is all the monsters are ridiculously low level and they never really end up even hitting the, the guys. And it's just like a swarm of monsters. Cause you, you remember that fight. Uh, and the scene that we're talking about in Lord of the Rings is the first Lord of the Rings movie where they're in the Mines of Moria um, and the cave troll comes in. There's all these um, goblins that are attacking everybody. I think they were goblins. Orcs. orcs. I think they were orcs. Uh, all these orcs that are attacking everybody and they just keep pouring through the doors. Orcs just like a never-ending tide of orcs as they're fighting this big cave troll and this never-ending tide of orcs. And it's a great fight. Um, it's actually a great example, and I, I tell other people to use this as an example when you're trying to imagine describing better fights as a game master, um, which is one of the areas of game mastering that I feel like I'm particularly good at. But the, the reality is, is that fight in a Dungeons & Dragons game would be a slog. It would be, it would be not only maybe brutal, because it would, it's just like an endless tide of bad guys that you're just continuing to fight, they're just continuing to pour through the store, but it would also be, um, even if you balanced it so that it wasn't a crazy, impossible fight, it would be uh, a fight that was so boring. It would be like, like okay, that guy's never going to hit me. He's, he's you know, level one quarter or whatever, just to be low enough level to make it possible for us to fight this giant horde of, of bad guys that are coming through. So um, my recommendation is do two trolls. If that's the fight you're envisioning and that's the fight that you think is going to be a lot of fun, do that fight and then adjust the stats of the trolls. Change whatever it is that you need to change in order to make it reasonably length and and uh, reasonably difficult. And that, and that includes like, okay, I'm going to change the damage of the trolls. They're Instead of rolling a D8, they're all going to roll a D6 or a D4. Maybe we need to change it so that, so that they are... Um, a little easier on, on the damage. We need to change the hit points. Well, maybe they're weak. They don't actually live in this mountain, and they've uh, stumbled upon it, and they've just been hiding out here. And that's certainly a possibility. Ultimately, I encourage that game masters shouldn't think of the stat blocks for monsters as, like, 
every single monster you come across is going to have the same stat block. There isn't any reason why, you know, this uh, blink dog that you're fighting should be exactly the same stats as this other blink dog you're fighting. Maybe it's a little stronger. Or maybe it's a little faster. One of them is a pit bull and one of them is a shih tzu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there shouldn't be any particular reason why this vampire spawn that you're attacking is the same as this other vampire spawn. There are a billion reasons why they can be different from each other, and even more billion reasons why they can be different from the stat block to begin with, why you can have a troll who is way stronger than the troll that's in the stat block. And I do this all the time when I scale up bad guys as well, because sometimes I need a horde of bad guys, and it is just more interesting to fight kobolds in this case, where it fits better to the storyline. Um, and I don't want to have to throw in baby dragon or something just because that's the right CR, I go, no, you're fighting some really tough kobolds. These are these are the kobolds that have been been around and seen seen some stuff. Assassin kobolds. Um, and they're going to be extra tough. And there's not an extra tough kobold in my book, so I'm going to make one up. Or I'm going to take a, the kobold stat block that already exists there, and I'm going to scale up all of the stuff. And specifically, um, hit points and damage are the biggest things that you need to change in most cases when you're scaling up or down monsters. Um, rarely do you need to scale up armor class because there's very little armor class scaling in 5th edition. So you might scale it up a little bit if you want to, but to be honest, it's more fun to hit monsters than it is to miss monsters. Yeah, totally. Um, so I way encourage you to scale up hit points before you scale up armor class. Um, and um, damage is the easiest thing to, to scale up and down. And even you know, flub your dice. Your players don't need to see exactly how much damage this this monster is doing. It's okay to be like, I want to make sure that this that this fight isn't going to kill my players. Yeah. Keep track of your players' hit points as you're doing damage to them, and have the monster roll a little low if they need to. Right, right in that crucial moment. I would definitely keep an eye on the wizard because if the wizard goes down, I think they're all. Oh yeah, because he's going home with fire. Yeah. <laughs> Um, also encourage them, give them the knowledge that they need and encourage them to find creative solutions. Yeah. So uh, tell the wizard right off the bat, you know, you know these are trolls. Uh, you know that they regenerate. You know that you need to use fire. Or wait until 50% through the fight if you want to make sure that that regeneration is playing a role in some way. Because I'll do that as well where I'll, I'll wait and, you know, let them lob off an arm and then the troll fully regenerates an arm, and they're like, oh, no, <laughs> that's that's really bad. Uh, and then have the arm punch, the severed arm punching them anyway, which is super fun anyway. Um, so play around with that, and then give them the information, you know, let everybody roll an extra check midway through the fight, and, and say, you think fire and acid will do something about this. And then they will start searching everywhere for fire and acid, because now they know, <laughs> they know what they're trying to stop. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, also let, you know, someone lights a torch, somebody like yeah, makes a campfire or whatever. whatever someone lights a they, torch and do. the trolls kind of recoil from it, yeah, giving you an you extra go. clue. Um, so let, let the players come up with a creative solution. The wizard may be the only one with fire magic, but lots of people can make fire. Yeah, it's in our blood. <laughs> it's, in, it's in your blood. <laughs> you just scrape, you, you're in a cave, you just scrape your sword against the wall and it makes sparks and you light a torch. Or if something. only it were that easy. Yeah. I let my players get away with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> for that kind of thing. <laughs> um so thank you random dude 92919. Yeah. 
Nice, nice job. Nice hey, job. Hey, keep it real. Say hi to Misty for me. What? I don't know. I made up a name. <laughs> oh man, that would really freak this person out though if you actually guessed the name of How your friend. How amazing would that be? That would be really cool. Um, we're moving on to Major Muffwinin. <laughs> major muffin. Well, it's mu- Major Muffin, but the I is a one. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know if I should muff pronounce it. Muff one. Nin. Yeah. Major Muff one. It just, it sounds kind of bad when I say it like that, though. <laughs> I don't know if that's intended. Well, Major Muffin. Major Muffin. Major Muffin says, ideas for running a session in a confined space. Short context, my group has angered a rather powerful cult in a big city and needs to lay low for a while. I was planning to lock them into a safe house somewhere in the town while NPCs could do some recon work to get them their next objective. I figured that would make for a less for a less high-octane session where they need to deal with being in a safe house for a few days. Have you ever run a session like that? If so, what do you think? Could be interesting encounters or small obstacles while being locked in together that I might put in to make their stay more interesting? Happy for any feedback and thanks in advance. So they're locked. So first of all, when he's opened with it, I thought they were literally playing in a confined space. Like everybody is like packed around like a really tiny table. Um, And I was going to suggest really small dice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could all share one rolling tray because you're all really close together. If that were the case, I would suggest um, those like tabletop things that like elevate Oh, um, yeah. Your board. There you go. That's good. So you can have like minis and stuff up top, and then everyone can have their like character sheets <laughs> on the bottom. But no, the players no. are okay. in a confined space. So I'm imagining they're all in one room, kind of like that episode of Friends where they're all in the same room. Or the episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they're in a safe house. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. Um, and it's, they have it, to be. Oh, it's there. a bottle episode. A bottle? So in TV, this is sometimes called a bottle episode. They do this all the time in different shows where. Um, the the episode takes place entirely in one room or in one space, and then they have to, you know, they're trapped in there. If you ever watch a TV show where everybody's trapped in a uh, elevator or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or for some reason, you know, everybody's in one room for the whole uh, show because they've got a, a important debate they need or they need to settle or an important issue they need to address or something and. And they all refuse to leave until they solve this one issue. That's called a bottle episode. Gotcha. Um, it's especially so in some shows where they basically all take place in the same space anyway. Bottle episodes are less popular. But if it's a show where they move around a lot and they constantly go into different spaces, bottle episode becomes like a stark contrast to uh, to the rest of it. Hmm. So yeah, it's a bottle episode. So. Um, what makes, let's talk about this, what makes a bottle episode interesting? Well, I was thinking, my first thought was if you want it to be, if you can't think of anything or if we can't think of anything, and you want it to be um, an interesting an interesting night but different, you can have all of the players still in the safe house and all suddenly they're going to play an NPC running around gathering the recon work. Because it says, well, NPCs could do some recon work to get them their next objective. So the story could follow those NPCs and figure out what's happening with them. Uh, I do like that idea. Um, I'm always actually a big fan of changing things up, especially if you have a long-running campaign where it's, it's a, you know, it's a one-shot. Play some NPCs today or play some lower-level characters to, 
that are doing something in the story in contrast to what your characters are doing, something along those lines. All your characters are trapped in this room. Now go, now go play something else. That actually sound does sound like a lot of fun. It reminds me of your Spider-Man game. Oh sure, although I actually really hate those levels. I know, which is kind of funny, but like suddenly you have to play as Mary Jane and and sneak around and. I do this sometimes when I want to have like a one shot or I want to have a mission that is focused on a single character. Well, where I'll say, "Great, you go off on your own." And then I will have all the other players play NPCs of, of in that character story. So then we have an opportunity to really focus on a single player and a focus on a single character, which sometimes is a lot of fun. But we don't want to leave everybody out from the play of that experience. So then you give everybody NPC roles and say, you know, you're the best friend and you're the you're the shopkeeper and you're the whatever. And like, let's go play out this this experience. You're going to play out this scene. Um, and even to the extent of saying like, great, you, all of you have character sheets and, and you all have stats if necessary uh, to do that. So that can be, that, that does sound like a fun idea. I like that concept. Um, what if we wanted to keep it focused on the, on the players? Yeah. What if? Oh man. The one room. Okay. So the problem with the safe house specifically is presumably if somebody attacks you in the safe house, you know it is no longer a safe house. Mm -hmm. So that could be great for the ending of the safe house experience, um, which is that, like, oh, no, now you're under attack. Well, I mean, they don't necessarily need to be attacked in the safe house because they're who they are. They can be attacked in the safe house. They can go down in the cellar or whatever. They find a secret passage, and it actually leads to the Thieves Guild, and they're like, how did you get down here? What? What? You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, okay. Like, like their safe house is not actually all that safe. Yeah, no one knew. It's a no smuggler's hold. <laughs> yeah, it's a smuggler's hold. And uh, it leads to wacky encounters. Or maybe it's haunted. Maybe there's ghosts there of people who died in the safe house going, ooh, it's not safe. I do like that idea also, although... It goes against the bottle episode concept. But this doesn't have to be the bottle episode concept. It doesn't have to be. I'm just now extra interested in, in how could we make a bottle episode? How can what, what do you need to successfully make a bottle episode? And the things that bottle episodes have in common are all about the... It's all role play. You know, there's no action that happens when you're trapped in a single room all together and you're all trying to sort of get space from each other. Um, it is all role play. That whole experience is role play. And you could maybe add, you know, a puzzle. You could do it ex escape room style um, where you have a bunch of like little puzzles or a bunch of little things that happen. But that doesn't really fit with the, yeah, with they're the, not with the trying, concept here, right? They're, they're not, not trying, trying to escape. escape. But, they're, they're sort of but I trying like, to stay there. I like the idea of puzzles or something because they need a goal to work on. Otherwise, yeah, I agree. there's nothing for them to talk about. What are they going to talk about? Man, that's such a this is a really tough question actually. And so I like both of your suggestions. They are great suggestions and uh Major Muffin, I would probably go with one of those. At the end of the day, if I was running this campaign and I said, How do I want to run this? Uh I love trapdoor to smuggler's den to to something that ties into the campaign. Um I love play the NPCs for this session while the players are sort of uh trapped away. And haunted. 
uh, and haunted. Anything haunted is pretty great. It's haunted. Oh, they have the to, whole house they have is to, haunted. They have to get it unhaunted. Sure. Otherwise, um, the ghost is going to keep them up the whole time they're there. If I really wanted to add the challenge, if I really wanted to make this, I want to make it bottle episode, and I want to make it these players, these characters are trapped in this room, and they can't do anything about it. They can't leave because they will expose themselves. They have the option to leave. They are just choosing not to. I would make the whole thing role play. What I would do is I would set up a series of um, role play challenges. So here, here's what I would do. I would create uh, two or three or maybe more if you feel like your players are going to be really resistant to role play and aren't going to be able to carry a scene. Uh, so let me explain that part first. Um, to carry a scene means like if you have a player, a group of players, and you can hand them a concept, you can say, here's what's going on, and they will riff on, on stuff with each other. They will crack jokes all in character. They will, they will have conversations in characters. Then you have a group of players that are ready to roll on a role play scenario. Um, the best possible opportunity for something like this would be a group of players that are ready to roll. That they're they're ready to role play. They're ready to have those conversations. They uh, feel comfortable taking on those roles. If you have a group of players who are more resistant, who are going to have trouble, who have trouble maybe thinking in the moment as their character, and so they take they have to take very very long pauses or uh, they freeze up, which happens to lots and lots of people. So I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like there's a better player or a worse player. It is just in the circumstances of your, you want all your players to role play out a whole lot of scene work in a, in a small confined space and, and within some constraints of what you're going to hand them. Then it, it works a lot better if you have a group of players that are ready to keep a scene going because they're role playing with each other. So what are the kind of scenes you would give them to role play? So like, I would... You stole my food? I would set up... Three things. The first thing is I would set up a secret that is not being said. Okay. So someone in this room has an important secret. And if possible, I would link the important secret back to backstory. So if I can make it set up, and this is obviously not said in the question that we're reading, but if it's possible for me to make it set up that, like, someone is searching for the person who killed their parents... And it turns out uh, someone else is searching for their uncle. And the clues that you have found on the mission turn out that the uncle is the one who killed the parents. Hmm. And now I've got a secret. And I might even add the extra clues. This is a bottle episode is the perfect place to reveal a secret. It's the perfect place to reveal a conflict that is happening between the players, but they can't leave because of the choices that they made because of the danger that, that it presents to them. And so that is the place where you can set this up. That's the place where you can make this amazing role play happen using the scenario that you have. And so I would set up a secret. I would talk to a, a single player and I would say, um, I'm going to give you a secret about your character's backstory. You have discovered this new thing and I'm going to let you decide how you discovered it. But you discovered it recently um, and you haven't told anybody it yet. And then you would give them that backstory information. And then I would tell everybody else that there is a secret. Um, and I would, I would have that be a part of it. 
I would also build in little moments of clues or little moments of, of role play. Remember that you're creating a larger role play scenario. So if you think about it like a skills challenge um, where you don't want to get to the answer right away, you want to have a little moment that leads to another little moment that leads to another little moment that then leads to an answer. So those little moments have to have a clue. They have to have a breadcrumb. They have to have something that's, that's getting you closer. Um, so you can set up the first scene might be, um, uh, man, I need some, I need some character names for, for this. Um, Shauna, uh, has this secret. Shauna's uncle killed, uh, Barry's parents. Um, and some epic fantasy these names. These are some great fantasy names that I've Woo. got. Um, so, uh, what I tell Shauna is Shauna, you had, you left and you found out this information. And then I tell somebody else, you noticed Shauna left in the middle of the night last night and didn't tell you where she went. Hmm. Um, and then I tell somebody else, you noticed this, this other thing. Uh, you noticed that, um, uh, when Shauna came back, she was in tears. Hmm. So now everybody's got slightly different information with each other. And then, and then I set up several different role play scenes. The first role play scene is just, you're stuck in this house together, everybody talk. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, you know, what, what are you doing? Why do your characters react to like you're stuck in this house together? Um, and then uh, the next role play scene is um, you're going to mention that Shauna snuck out last night and you're going to ask her where she went, but amidst the whole group. Um, and then I'm going to make it clear that like what we're doing is we're role playing out a series of scenes and that the secret's not going to get revealed until the end. So I'm going to talk to Shauna's player, and I'm going to say, you have the secret. You're not going to reveal the secret until the end. You're going to be resistant. So your job is, uh, until the very, very end, you're not going to say what the secret is. Um, and then there's going to be a turning point. I'm going to have, like, a signal for Shauna mm -hmm. to say, like, now whenever it feels comfortable, you can now reveal the secret. I mean, this is really good to get into the role play aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. And really good to exercise those muscles. Um, but it just, like... Well, it's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. And it there's so many ways for it not to go well and to everyone to get pissed off at each other, which, you know, That's is part of it. That's sort of what it. happens in a bottle episode. But it also, like, you're purposely creating drama. It is. I mean, it is a, a role play. It's, a, it's yeah, the drama of the role of the play scenario. doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a high drama moment. A, a good way to think about this would be um, you're you're playing it out sort of like a werewolves game or Secret Hitler or something like that. Like it's a little bit like a um, social deception game. Yeah. Um, and you could even gamify it a little bit more in that fashion. You could make it, you know, very very clear. Um, uh, maybe even putting together like index cards for everybody. You have a secret. You're 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 finding a secret or something like that. So you could set this up with more clear rules for everybody. But I think the value of this is actually the drama. It is actually the scenario of this is going to be a big role play in a high drama uh, moment, which I think is also what makes bottle episodes interesting. Mm. Um, is the the high drama? It is the the you know, the reveal, as well as, like, the conflict. It is conf the conflict over things that have been 
maybe bubbling to the surface or maybe being held back, but now they are revealed. That's how it is on a TV show. So, um, like I said, I don't think this is for everybody. Um, you know, Major Muffin, I think you ha- – we, we have a couple of other ideas that are way easier to play. They are way easier to execute on and way more reliable as far as the kind of experience that you're going to give to your players. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the this other possibility, this other very hard-to-execute but potentially – very valuable, really amazing role play opportunity that you could present to your players. I think that what it comes down to is whatever you talked about in your session zero, what kind of game people want, what kind of game people want to play. Because if the game that they want to play might involve some of this stuff, then this is the perfect opportunity mm-hmm. to have drama, to have role play, to really tough it out with your character and find out how they think. Um, if, if you've got a group of players who have expressed that they like really want to dig in, they really want to make epic backstories, they really want right. to have like epic character journey, uh, they want to do a lot of role play, like that bottle episode and role play I think is a good opportunity for you. And it's good because it, it gives you the opportunity to do it and see how everyone reacts. And then once the safe house door is open, move on. Mm-hmm. Um, if it didn't go well, or you can set something up like this again. And you can also set up like, you know, uh, a combat. You can have something in your back pocket to be like, this isn't going as well as I want it to go, or doesn't seem like people are enjoying this. Uh, Suddenly the bad guys break into the safe house and you're under attack again. And we can jump right into a combat and be like, okay, well, I tried it out. What did you guys think? Um, You know, it's okay for a game master to try, try out stuff and, and see whether or not it was fun, see whether or not it was a great experience for the players, and then ask for that feedback afterwards. And you could also give them some heads up. You can say, like, hey, the next episode, or the next um, episode, we've been talking about TV. Uh, the next <laughs> it is sort of like an session wah, wah, uh, wah, wah. <laughs> um, is going to be a high role play, very little. Oh, I would absolutely No do combat, that. if, like, maybe no combat, high role play. Just set you up so that you know what you're getting, you're you're coming into, and that's even when you could say, "There's going to be a secret revealed." Yeah. Um, which will it will provide some intrigue. The the other guidance that um uh we often use in game to grow groups whenever we're going to do a role play scene just to be helpful guidance, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, is every role play scene should reveal or resolve something. Mm. So whenever, if you have players that are sort of struggling to role play, but, but you think they're into it and you think that they're having a good time with it, um, you can give them that guidance and you can say, the end of this role play scene, we will know that it's the end of the role play scene because it will reveal or it will resolve something. And you can even set that up ahead of time. So you can ask the players to say, what is this scene going to reveal or what is it going to resolve? And then let them dictate that, yeah. that piece and then, and then say, great. Now we know what the end is. Now let's back it all up. Now role play it out. Now you can go wherever you want to go, so long as the end is revealing or resolving that thing yeah. that you want to that, that you want to get to. That's why I was like when you said the first scene is just going to be just talk. You're in a safe house, just talk. And I'm like, I I would have such a hard time with that. Yeah, I would still have like a, a reveal or a resolve. I want to hey. Everyone talk about their feelings of how they feel being locked in the safe that's house. That's true, yeah. What are but, you worried but about? But that is the reveal. In that case, it could be the, like, what are you worried about? Or it could be 
ultimately you're asking that question as the game master for every role play scene. Right. And, that, and that's the thing that you should keep in mind as a game master whenever you're setting up a role play scene, which is what is the question I'm trying to get the players to answer? And the question might be, um, how do you feel about the current situation? That could be the question. But you should actually pose that question to the players, not assume that they know what you're asking. Yeah, and it could be like, do you think that this person really did it? Right. Like could be the, the mystery. N- right? The NPCs are going to go do recon work, then clearly there's some mystery to be solved. That was, that was a, the long answer. Yes, Major Muffin, <laughs> that was the long answer, and we really need to get to a break. Okay. So... We're going to take a break. We're going to stay in this confined room, and we're just going to talk. Bottlings. Okay, we're back. Hey, we're back. We're going to shake things up. And Adam doesn't know why, but we're going to shake things up uh-huh. and we're going to go straight to use that spell. <gasps> Ba-da-ba-ba-ba! Use that spell. You almost didn't do it. You didn't I know what to do. I almost did I froze so, up. You were so... Um, well, I was so, so blown away. I know. We're going to do use that spell. This is where I name a spell and we talk about it. So, um, I didn't realize that the last uh, question would take so long. And so, I unfortunately picked a long spell. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gone with something shorter. Yeah, ridiculous, Adam. Why did you take so long to Why'd answer you take? that question? It's all your fault. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Crown of Stars. Okay. Have you heard of Crown of Stars? I don't think I have. Actually. I haven't either. It's from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. I like Xanathar's Guide to Everything. I've not read Xanathar's Guide to Everything, but the spells I'm reading about. Um, yeah, that's a lot of cool spells. It's so it. cool. It makes me want to go go read it. Um, evocation level seven, casting time one action, range of self components VNS duration one hour. Seven star-like motes, M-O-T-E-S, not M-O-A-T-S, of light appear and orbit your head until the spell ends. You can use a bonus action to send one of the motes streaking toward one creature or object within 120 feet of you. When you do so, make a ranged spell attack. On a hit, the target takes 4d12 radiant damage. Whether you hit or miss, the moat is expended. The spell ends early if you expend the last moat. If you have four or more motes remaining, they shed bright light in a 30-foot radius and dim light for an additional 30 feet. If you have one to three motes remaining, they shed dim light in a 30-foot radius. At a higher level, when you cast a spell using a spell slot of 8th level or higher, the number of motes created increases by two for each slot level above 7th. Page 152 from Xanathai's Guard to Everything, a Sorcerer Warlock Wizard spell. Fun. Star-like moats. I know. It's a crown of stars. They circle above your head going... All, uh, all I could imagine was like Daffy Duck when he gets like conked in the head and there's little birdies. It's very uh, um, Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Roger Rabbit. Oh, totally. Um, but it's interesting, right? So like you get seven moats around your head. You can send them out 120 feet from you. Towards a creature or object. I like that it's a bonus action. Too. You make a ranged spell attack, and it's a 4d12 radiant damage. But uh, it is a level, seven, a level spell. seven spell. level seven spell. Can I just say, like, I think the spells in the, like, level six to level seven range are probably my favorite spells. Yeah. Um, they're really powerful. They're not as powerful as ninth level spells. There are actually very few ninth level spells for most spellcasters. There's only, like, 
uh, four or five ninth level spells because by the time you get up to ninth level, you don't need that many spells. And all these spells at ninth level are all like bafflingly powerful spells. Uh, sometimes contextually powerful, but still very, very powerful. Um, but this like six to seven range is like still really, really strong, really powerful spells, but so much more creative, so mm -hmm. much more interesting. Um, and I think that's just because like by the time you get up to ninth level spells, you can just have a spell that's just like, you know, uh, destroy castle. And it's just like <laughs> destroy, you know, an entire town or whatever. And it's just, okay, well, that's not particularly creative. This is really powerful, but it's not. It's not particularly creative. You, you snap your finger and one creature dies within 50 feet yeah, of you. Yeah, power word kill or whatever. It's right. just like, pew, dead. Uh, it's not, not, it's powerful, but it's not this interesting. Right. This is interesting because you could make the the little motes of light any color you want. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like a lot of the description of this. Um, the actual mechanic of it, one, it's not concentration-based. So you can cast this. You've got it for an hour. You've got a bonus action that you can use to do these. What's uh, particularly important about that for, once again, rules as written, is um, there is a rule in the game that you cannot cast more than one spell per turn. Um, you can cast a spell, and then you can cast a cantrip if you have the extra actions available to do so, but you can't cast more than one spell. And what this does is it allows you to... to Bam, send out bonus action 4d12 radiant damage as a spell attack when you need to on your turn for the next hour. Um, and you can still cast a spell with your main action. Yeah. And that is a really powerful combination. So I can still fireball and then still do a, a 4d12 radiant damage or whatever. I like the idea that you cast it before, like you're in a dungeon, it's dark, you cast it for the light. And sure. also, and so that you're, that too, so right? that you're ready, so that when initiative might happen, you are all ready to go with a bam bonus action right away. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that like, as the motes go away, you lose light. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, four or more motes, they shed bright light in a thirty foot radius and dim light, and then three or three, one to three, they have a dim light radius. I think that's a very interesting detail. Plus, if they're spinning around you, if they're, like, actually spinning, then the shadows in the room are going to be all freaky. Oh, yeah. Boy, it's, like, sickening. You imagine walking through, like, a like a, uh, a cave or something, and somebody has, like, a spinning light. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> like gosh. Like, all the shadows that you I would make sure it spins very slowly yeah. and, and, and beautifully. Great, graceful. graceful. Oh, it's so but, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool spell. Um, I like it. Not much to be said beyond, like, it does some damage and sheds some light. I love the imagery of it. I think it looks super cool. And I think it's a very versatile spell that would be worth having as a character just to be. Oh, yeah. Because, I would have like, this. I would, I would be in a dungeon and I'd be like, bam, this is a perfect spell for me to cast. Plus, I would let people decide what their motes look like. Oh, sure. Like, they don't have to be little balls of light, star-like balls of light. They could be shaped like fairies. They could be shaped like. Just just picture all the emojis that you could Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> They, they're like hands flipping the bird going around your head. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we didn't talk about it too long because I have a new segment. Oh, okay. I'm going to call it, and this is of the very first time I'm saying this out loud, so we can discuss if we want to change the name. Riddle me this. Oh, okay. So it's not a riddle. Oh, it I sounds it like it's a riddle. A riddle. <laughs> I know. You like riddles. I don't like riddles as yeah. much. 
Um, no, what the the thought is is that we're going to bring up a general topic to discuss um, with some bullet point notes or whatever on it, oh, and, okay. and kind of talk about a topic of D and D. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, I'm down. That sounds an, great. It's an idea. I, you know, I was going to call it like opinions and objectives, and I was like, that's dumb. That sounds like a PowerPoint from <laughs> some sort of training video. It sounds let's, terrible. Let's do it. Riddle, yeah. riddle me this. Riddle me this. So, um, cheating in D and D. Oh man, let's That's talk about great... cheating in D and D. Have we never talked about this? No, because we don't have a segment for it, <laughs> and now we do. That's great. Yeah. So, cheating in D and D. Um. So, and I wrote a couple of notes out here. Um. Like a like a guideline we can follow, but gui- more like guidelines. more like guidelines. Um. But people cheat in environments with rewards. Typically, they're trying to get a reward. Um. And People are more likely to cheat if they see others cheating. Okay. Yeah, like, I think that's if they see true. someone else got away with that, they might be like, that, I'm, you know, how dare they? But then I'm like, well, someone else got away with it. I should be able to get away with sure. it. Sure, yeah, that's probably true. But D&D doesn't have a real reward. They're just, like, personal rewards. So, like, why do people well, tend I, to cheat? I maintain that the personal reward is maybe more valuable than some real rewards that you might get. I don't know. It. If I uh, cheated and won the lottery and got away with millions and millions of dollars. All right, that's fair. That's pretty valuable. It's pretty valuable. <laughs> but think of the friends you lost along the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the real reason, so I actually have seen a lot of cheating in D&D games. You do run a lot of um, games where I could foresee that happening. Yeah. So in my opinion, people cheat because they're uh, so in, in every case people cheat because they're trying to get something out of the experience right in dungeons and dragons you're right there's no reward right there's no winning the game right people play to win D D, and it's like why why what do you think what you're does gonna, that even mean you won you're level 20 now make a new character yeah <laughs> um but not everybody understands that um and some people do want to gamify the game of D&D in the sense of saying, like, I want to maximize my character. I want to do the most that my character can possibly do. And there is sort of a built-in game. There's all these mechanics in the game that say it's possible to it's possible to make a not great character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible to, to make a character who is, who is more powerful. There are ways that you can break the game. There are ways that you can, you know, maximize choices that you make for building your character to make your character more mechanically powerful in the game when it comes to especially combat. Um, and combat is most likely the place where you see people cheating. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really see anybody cheat in role play in Dungeons & Dragons. I don't even know what that would be. Well, I have some examples of types of cheating in the game. Are any of them role play? Well, kind of. Oh, yeah. I'm super curious. Oh, you want I'm, me to yeah, talk about I'm, it now? I'm super curious. So types of cheating in the game. Yeah. Convenient forgetfulness. Oh, I forgot that I was concentrating on this other spell. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, um, fudging dice rolls. Sure, that's a that's a pretty easy one. Um, most common, I would think. Dubious stats. Okay. Like, oh yeah, I totally rolled sixes on all of my stats. Oh boy, that and one comes up a lot. Yes, yes, totally. Loose interpretation of the rules. Yep. So someone someone goes, well, I'm interpreting this spell, and this is how I based my entire character. Yeah. You can Boy, only get away that, with that once. That comes up a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, metagaming, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, reading ahead. So if you're playing like Curse of Strahd and someone else has a copy of Curse of Strahd, oh, they're going to yeah. read ahead and know what's going to happen. I feel like we should address all these very specifically. Well, um, they're also good. And then outside knowledge of creatures. Okay. So like what we were talking about earlier with the trolls. Yes. Like if someone says, well, I know that a troll has 200 hit points. Well, not this troll. <laughs> um, this is a great list. Let's let's actually address all of these and sort of what you do as a game master. Um, yeah, I faced with each. Of I, I have a how to confront the player was the next question after types of cheating. So okay, so there there are so let let's talk generally about it and then let's go point by point through each of these because I, I actually have advice for each each one of these oh, things. Man. We um, don't have that much time. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'll I'll try like I'll this, try to condense this. This is going to be our packs um, panel. We'll, so we'll talk uh, types of cheating. So people cheat because they're trying to get out of something out of the experience. The the biggest thing to remember is if you're cheating in Dungeons and Dragons, it is because you probably the 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 player who is cheating probably wants to feel like a hero. They want to feel like they can be extra successful. They are uh, feeling likely put down by the potential that they are not doing the best that they're not doing, you know, as amazing as they, they want to imagine that or, they could be doing. Or it could just be the story in general. They want the story to go a certain way. Yeah. And they want and it to go their way. They want it to yeah, be positive. They, they have the moment to make or break and they rolled a one. They're going to say, I didn't, I rolled a 15, you know, one of the biggest and most useful tools for cheating. Um, and we'll get to dice roll specifically, but is to emphasize to players and to constantly talk about how, um, it isn't about doing well and doing poorly. It's about making a good story. Mm -hmm. And the doing poorly part of the game makes for a better story. If you just constantly conquer every bad guy, every enemy that you come across, you constantly conquer every, every uh, challenge, every puzzle, you, it's not an interesting story. Players, the players have to lose a little bit. Um, they have to struggle. They have to push through that struggle and in order to succeed. Otherwise, it's, it's uninteresting. And it makes for an uninteresting game, too. It's not exciting if you don't feel like there was a potential chance for you to fail. It's more fun to play characters that have flaws and weaknesses. Yes. Um, that being said, some of my players don't always get that. Or they might get it, but they still feel that this is a challenge that is the responsibility of the game master and not the responsibility of the player. In other words, they will do everything they can to be successful, and it is the game master's job to make them fail. In right. which case, they will fudge, you know, they'll set up uh, their, their stats to be as maximized as possible, and they'll fudge their dice rolls, and they'll do those things with the expectation that the game master has to be the boundary. And that it's not not the player's responsibility. The player cheating is just a tool in mm -hmm. the player's you know repertoire of being able to succeed against the game master. And I, and as much as possible as the game master, I encourage you to constantly explain to your players and constantly remind the players that this isn't about you versus them. This isn't about this uh, this idea that they have to like push a boundary against you. Encourage them that they can make choices that their character is bad at something. And even try stuff that they're bad at. That their characters should should not always make the choice of, I'm always going to try the skills because I'm those are my highest skills. Try the skills that you're bad at too. Yeah, when they go, oh, I don't want, I'm not going to roll that because I, I I don't have good skills in animal handling. Yeah, that's so, not interesting. So 
try anyway. Uh, make those choices and then let the the character fail at it and then enjoy the, the struggle of that. Um, do it all together. Also, as a game master, it is your responsibility if you want to paint a game where players can fail and that that is not the end of the world, it is your responsibility to make sure that is not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when your players fail, you can't be like, well... You failed that check against that fireball. I guess you're dead. Roll a new character. Right. You have to be willing to also continue to put the boundaries on the world so that the players aren't afraid to fail, so that they aren't afraid to make choices where they might be punished for for making that choice. Singe their hair and give them a weird, cool haircut. Yes. Um, Or, you know, let them take some fireball damage. Let them get hurt. Maybe even knock them unconscious. But... Make sure that your players know that under your game mastering, they are, their characters are safe to take risks. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that, they won't take those risks. And some players, in response to that, will cheat to avoid taking those risks. Right. So, let's go through this list. Okay. Convenient forgetfulness. Okay. So, um, there are... In, some of the answers that I'm going to are just the easiest ways be a game master and set a boundary because sometimes the best response to, to cheating is just to set a boundary that makes it hard for somebody to cheat. People, um, if you leave stuff in your car, you're more likely to have your car broken into. It, right. If, if it's a crime of convenience. Crime right? of opportunity. It's a crime of opportunity. Thank you. You have to take away the opportunity to cheat. Yeah. So you have to at least add a little bit of a hurdle. At least your players need to know that you know what their stuff does. And this is just a uh, sometimes challenging, but a good responsibility of a game master for you to know what your player's character's abilities are. Um, And sometimes that does mean stopping the game and reminding a player they have an ability, both for good reasons and for bad reasons. Mm -hmm. To say like, hey, just because you haven't used it in a while, I want to remind you, you do have the ability to like sneak as a bonus action. You you can hide as a bonus action, just so you know. I'm just letting you know that. Um, and it doesn't need to be like relevant to the current situation. It might just be that you don't, don't see that player using that and they might have forgotten they have that ability. Works the same way the other way. If they are, um, you know, conveniently forgetting that they were concentrating on a different spell, um, it is your job to, to track a lot of those things. And if you forget too, then okay, no big deal. You both forgot. Um, that wound up being a little extra powerful. They're going to get away with, with some of that stuff, and you need to be okay as a game master just saying, oh, yeah, I forgot too. Oh, well. Right. I forgot I was taking an extra round of poison damage. Right. Um, and you're going to lose track of some of those things, uh, and that's going to happen as as well. Everybody's, everybody's human. People are going to forget stuff. Um, the thing that you uh, can also do is to be the reminder for the players in those, in those moments to say um, – did you take your poison damage? Because you got to remember, you got to take that poison damage, right? Um, so that they aren't trying to get away with that convenient forgetfulness. Fudging dice rolls. Oh man, this is such a big one. Yeah, especially over Zoom. I mean, roll roll twenty. You can roll and see dice rolls on and, through that and D and D Beyond. Right. Um, and there, uh, there's also a uh, website that we like to use called Roll Dice with Friends, uh, where you can create your own sort of lobby, and then everybody can roll dice in the same space. Does um, uh, the owl 
Owl, Albert Rodeo. Albert Rodeo. Do they do that? I don't think it has dice rolling. Gotcha. Um, so there are some easy answers to this, and there are some hard answers to this. As a game master, the easy answer is you can get everybody to roll their dice on a on you know a, a platform like Roll Twenty. Um, the hard answer is um, either you need to pull a player aside and have a conversation with them. Every player will deny that they are roll that they are lying on their dice rolls. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no proof to confront them with. And there's no reason they wouldn't deny it. Um, the you can pull a player aside and you can have a conversation. You can say, "Hey, your your dice seem to be rolling exceptionally high. Um, I'm not necessarily going to say that you're cheating, but I want to point out that having low dice rolls is a good part of the game. I don't I don't want you to feel like you need to be rolling really high all the time. Um, I want you to be willing to have some low dice rolls. Sometimes I'll listen to um, D&D actual play podcasts, and I notice that a player will only fail skill checks oh, and yeah. not any combat rolls. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Seems very like, suspicious. You're definitely peppering in low rolls, but it's only on skill checks where yeah. it doesn't seem to matter as much. Um, the other... Things that I will do, um, I will celebrate other people's roles more than the person that I think is cheating. Oh. Um, this is a teaching technique um, that is uh, really, really valuable, which is just to give your attention, give the the good stuff that you get from having a high role to the other people. And not it's not about having a high role. Give the attention to the people who are getting low roles. So if you have a player who's cheating, who's constantly lying, and you think you think that they are lying, you suspect that they are lying, and they're constantly getting high rolls, the next time another player rolls a one, make a huge deal out of it. Make it super fun. Rope everybody in. This, this hilarious moment. And make it like a fumble, and it leads to all this other stuff, and it's hilarious, and it's a lot of fun. And then the next time that player rolls super high, and they roll a critical skirt past it like it was nothing. You go, oh, yeah, okay, well, you hit. Go ahead and roll damage. Okay, cool. Uh, let's move on to the next player. And you minimize the the uh, feeling of, of success being a big part of that, and you maximize the feeling of failure, making it very, very clear how much more fun the game is uh, using using a feeling of fail, failure. Um, the, the, the last thing that I will do for... Um, lying dice rolls, and this is sort of a little bit of a dirty trick, is I'll talk about another D&D game that doesn't actually exist. Oh. Um, so this is, again, sort of a, a trick that game master, or that teachers use, uh, where they'll say, hey, everybody, I'm so sorry. I'm coming back from a D&D game. Uh, I just had, a, like, another game, and I just had a, one of this player that was just lying about dice rolls the whole time. It was so clear. It was so obvious um, you know, every role was like an 18 or a 20, and it was just very frustrating. I don't even know how to talk to them about it. Um, and that's that's just really, really tough. And I, I'm, I'm glad you guys don't do that. Um, so I really appreciate that, and and uh, um, I'll just have to figure out how to, how to maybe have this conversation with this player. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I've had this teacher or this substitute teacher before. Oh, yeah. This is – that's hitting, hitting a feel – 
it's there's a, a deep whoa. It's a, it's a dirty trick, and it works very well in most cases. Yeah. Oh man, the last class that I was in, they everybody lied about their names, and it was really frustrating, and nothing got done. And we were gonna do something fun today, and like we we just had to sit and wait. It was awful. Anyway, I'm glad you guys don't do that. Let's take roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, it's it's uh, that is all about you know setting up setting up for success. Let me let me make it clear that yeah. I am a human and this is frustrating to me when you do this, but I don't need to wait for you to do it in order for me to express that. Right. Um. So, the that is one good one for for dice rolls. There's probably some more complicated ones that I could give for dice rolls as well, but we won't get into that. That's, no. That's a little longer uh, than the podcast. Can dubious handle. stats. Oh man. I tell all of my players that you are either picking a stat array or a point by. Um, and if we do want to roll stats, if that's something we've decided on as a group, we are all rolling stats together. I don't like players to roll stats on their own. Yeah. Regardless of dubious stats. Um, I feel like the experience of rolling stats is not very exciting on your own. So even if we want to play a game where we're all we're all in it. We're going to roll stats. We're going to we're going to leave the randomization of the world up to the randomization of the world. Um, I still want to do it all together. I'd rather do that all together. I'd rather even take the time for each person and be like, what did you wind up with? Oh, my gosh, you got a six? Woof, where are you going to put that? That's really rough. Uh, so, oh, my God, you got an 18? That's incredible. Like, the chances of that are so small while you're trying to roll for stats. That's really, really exciting. And so I want to be there for, for that whole process if we do actually want to roll stats. I have 100% had players bring me a character sheet even when we have point buy and stat array and hand me a character sheet where they don't have a stat lower than 16. Mm-hmm. And um, when I have players do that, what I will tell you as a game master is ask the player for the sake of the campaign if they'd be willing to change a couple of their stats. Then change one stat to like a ten or an eleven, and change another stat to an eight, um, and say these are these are too high. Maybe you rolled these. I'm not even going to challenge that. I'm not even going to question that. I'm just going to tell you that the game will be much more interesting, and the whole group will have more fun if you if if you change one of your stats to a ten and one of your stats to an eight. You you can choose choose which ones, uh, choose which rolls. Keep everything else the same way. Change one roll to a ten, one roll to an eight. Um, and that universally fixes that problem, in my opinion, uh, for most of my players. Yes, they'll still have very high stats for all their other stuff, and it's probably too high or whatever, but now they now have a, a mediocre stat and a, and a distinctly bad stat, and that at least sets up they're bad at something. They need to be bad at something. Right. Okay, I like that. Loose interpretation of the rules. Um, it is your job as the game master to be the arbiter of the rules. Um, you get to decide how loose or how tight the interpretation and is. And I don't know all the rules. And, and if Adam is not playing with me and I can't go, oh, I don't know, how would you do this? Usually what I do is like, for this game right now, we're going to do it this way. And then I'm going to look it up and research later how this rule should be read. Yes. So like for right now... You feel more emboldened to do it this way, but we, th- it might change in the future. Um, that is the best tool for a game master when it comes to rules. Um, that is the the your your advice is the exact advice I give to game masters. Because that's are, what you give to me. Yes, um, because 
it's okay for you to not know all the rules. And frankly, it's, it is boring to go and look up rules in the middle of stuff. Um, and if somebody goes, can I do this? And I say, that's a super creative and interesting way of doing that. It sounds kind of broken and it sounds kind of like that's not how that's supposed to be interpreted, but I'm not going to bother looking that up right now. For right now, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that sounds fine for today. Um, we'll look up the rule later, but for now, that sounds good. Go ahead and describe what, what it is that you're going to do. But don't expect this every single time. Yes. This isn't, a, we're not going to do this every time. I'm going to look it up and we're going to figure it out and come to a compromise or a decision. The fear of every game master is you're going to say yes to, to some kind of rule interpretation and it's going to break the game. And somebody's going to go, ah, now I figured out a cantrip spell that I can instantly kill every bad guy with. Um, and now the game is uninteresting because of that like and create water in someone's lungs right and and you're gonna and you're gonna go oh no why did i say yes to that in the first place and it is okay for you to now interpret a rule differently when you make a decision about a rule as a game master that is not carte blanche that is not you know forever the the rule as written you have now spoken and that is that is the rule <laughs> it is written in stone no oh, you can change your mind uh, you can say, yeah, it worked in that situation and it didn't work in this other situation. You can say, um, I looked up the rule. I went and looked up some stuff and I, I, it says that you can't do that or you can do that. Um, I've also done that in the positive for the players. It's not always about shutting the players down. I have totally uh, turned around and come back to a player the next session and said, um, hey, I looked up that rule and you were absolutely right and I should have let you get away with that and the next time you use it that way, I'll totally allow it. Yeah. Um, I've done that as well. And it's totally okay to to turn around and change your mind the next time you, it comes up as a game master. Yeah, I agree. Um, metagaming. Oh, metagaming. Okay, so because you have another one on the list, which is describing monster we, stats. Outside knowledge of creatures. Yeah, um, I won't talk about that one specifically, but that is sometimes referred to as metagaming as well, um, just for clarity. Um, metagaming in this sense might be uh, like a player uh, a, a player saying something that another player is not supposed to know yet or mm -hmm. um, or describing um, uh, information that that you know shouldn't be available to everybody or, or something along those lines uh, and to me it could also be like well, I know that on his turn he's gonna do this spell so I'm not gonna do anything to that guy yet I'm gonna it could mean that, although in general I would encourage that yeah. more than discourage it because it's teamwork. And, right. and if, you're, if you're at least thinking through what everybody's going to do. Now, if you are uh, armchair quarterbacking, which means that you're telling everybody what to do. Right. You do this, then you do that, and then right. I'll do this, then we'll win. Then, uh, then I would discourage that. Um, in general, I am fine with that level of metagaming. Um, there, it is, does come up occasionally where I might give a player some bit of knowledge that I don't want the other players to know yet. And if they want to share it, I would just assume they shared it in character. And then I would tell them, oh, okay, you want to share that information. You, how do you do that in character? And I would have right. them role play that out. Um, it's pretty rare that metagaming outside of sharing monster stats comes up, except in the case of somebody having read ahead in a module. Now, I don't use modules, so that's not a concern for me, but... Um, it certainly well, could happen. You with created modules. Well. That's true. I, if someone <laughs> were to have read Age of Green and Critical Core, and you're running Age of Green from Critical Core, they might go, "Well, hmm, I've read it." Um, that is true. And also, then I change 
what happens in the module. Yeah. Um, ultimately, the real answer to it is you still have the power to change stuff. Um, you also have the power to tell players that you may make things harder if they metagame. Mm-hmm. If you want to discourage metagaming at your table, tell your players, I know what metagaming is. I see what you're doing. And I will make the game harder. I will punish you in the game for doing that. And punish doesn't mean need to be the hand of God comes down and smacks your character and he's dead. Um, it can be all sorts of varying levels. You can say, oh, yeah, there's a third troll now. Um, <laughs> it came out of the bathroom that it was hiding in and, and says, hey, why are you beating up it's, my friend? It's got toilet paper hanging off of its foot. It's got toilet paper hanging off of its foot. And now it's fighting you, too. Um, you're going to try again? See if there's a fourth troll? Uh, no. Okay, I thought not. You mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns. <laughs> yeah. So um, there are totally ways that you can do that, and you can make it fun, right? I'm smiling the whole time. Uh, I'm, I'm calling you out for your metagaming, and I'm punishing you for it, but I'm not, I'm not being hateful about it. I'm not being cruel about it. I'm just um, pointing out that that ruins the fun of the game, and I'm going to change the game when you do that to to either distract you or to make it more challenging in some other way. Okay, reading ahead. Okay. There is not much you can do about reading ahead if a, if a player is going to use that knowledge. The best advice in this case is that you should discourage your players from reading ahead right off the bat. Mm-hmm. This should be a table rule. If you're going to be using, if you're using Curse of Strahd, if you're using, um, you know, one, uh, any module really, um, and uh, right from the very, very beginning, when you create your level, you know, your session zero rules, when you talk about your um, your table understanding, you should say, my expectation is that none of you have played this, and none of you have read it. Is that true? Has anybody read this? Then my expectation is none of you will read it while we are playing through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and make that very, very clear. And if you have a player who you're suspicious is maybe reading a hand and might be lying about it, this is where it's a conversation. You should, you should pull the player aside, not during a session, maybe at the beginning or at the end of a session, and say, hey, I noticed you, you knew exactly where to look for that secret room. Are you reading the module ahead? Because I want to make it clear that that takes the fun away, not just for you, takes the fun away for everybody else at the table. Yeah, it's like opening up your uh, Christmas presents early. Yeah. Um, and and once again, reassuring them that it's not about complete the thing. It's not about success. It's not about find every, every treasure. Um, and it might be a good place to ask them that question, to say, what is it you hope to gain from reading ahead? What is it you hope to gain from, from that? Is it just that you want to make sure you're, you're getting everything? If that's the case, I can guide you as a game master. You don't have to do that. I will I will say, like, yeah, you feel like you're missing something in this room and, like, give you more opportunity to keep searching. Um, I don't want you to feel like you are caused anxiety by playing the game. I want to help support you in that way. Um, but keep in mind that you are really disrupting the opportunity that everybody else has for the fun of the game when you do so. I agree. Um, outside knowledge of creatures. Okay. This is my f- one of my favorites because it's one of my favorites to tell my players very, very directly. Um, when players say, oh, it's a troll. Oh, man, I just read this last night. The next thing I say is, I'm going to interrupt you. If you say one stat about this troll, 
I will make it harder. <laughs> Say anything about this troll, and I will make it harder to fight. Also, I will remind all of my players that I rarely use stats as written um, for monsters and monster manuals. I constantly change my stats. I add abilities. I take away abilities. I will literally pick a character and give it an entirely different stat block from an entirely different uh, manual. So I will remind all my players that, that I'm probably not even using the stats that you have, but I want to straight up discourage anybody saying like, oh, it has an armor class of 15. Um, right. uh, everybody got to roll oh, 15 or better. It's weak to fire. Yeah. Quick, get your fire bolt. Um, I, will, I will straight up discourage that by saying, the instant that you say that, I'm going to make the armor class 19. Right. <laughs> Or um, lair, lair abilities. Oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, man, I wait a minute. I know this lair ability. This must be. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely want to discourage all of that, that kind of metagaming. And I will say, I'll still give people a check. Um, I'll say, awesome, you can roll a check and see what your character knows. And then you might be able to share some of this information. Um, but I want to have it be in character, not out of character. Right. Um, so the only thing I had left was how to confront the player, which we've already kind of talked about. Treat your player like they're a normal person. You know, don't don't call them out to the point where um, you the, dirty rat, you know. The biggest thing is I would avoid shame. Yeah, You're exactly. not trying to shame a player. Uh, just a reminder that if somebody is cheating in any one of these ways, they're trying to get something from that experience. Maybe they're hoping that the... The group finds them extra entertaining or extra knowledgeable or extra powerful. helpful, extra powerful. Um, maybe that is that they want to experience that their character is more powerful. Or maybe more they hate Curse of Strahd and want to get through it faster. Yeah, maybe they're <laughs> bored, um, which is absolutely one of the, the ways in which players cheat. Is because they're bored and they want to get through this. Come on, let's let's yeah. let's finish this up. I'm bored of this fight. It's, it's like a toddler; they're acting out. Yes, um, and don't don't treat them like a toddler. Although that behavior is kind of like a toddler. Um, treat them like a person. You know, a ask them those questions. What is it that you're trying to get out of this? Is it, is there something I can help with? Are you not having as much fun as you as you want to be having? Is it that you want to ensure that your character is really really powerful? I can make sure that your character is going to have powerful moments and, and you don't need to cheat to get to it. And I think the first thing is to um, pull them aside. You know, if you're not going to do the any of the other things Adam talked about, pull them aside, have a conversation. But the next thing to do is um, talk to them, call them out publicly and honestly. You know, in the, in the game you can say, oh, uh, seems like you knew exactly where that was. We've talked about this, remember? I just want to make sure. I, I strongly recommend books like Nonviolent Communication yes. or any DBT skills, which is Dialectical Behavior Therapy. Thank you for saying what that was because I was going with Dragon Ball Z, but then I went Dragon Ball T. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sequel or the prequel. Um, the um, the T-quel. Um, where you can learn uh, skills in Dialectical Behavior Therapy that are all about communication. So um, in those cases, it's always about um, express what your fresh what what your feeling is. Express what your experience is. Remember that like 
you are not trying to tell somebody a fact. You are trying to express what is going on for you. Right. And then and then express what you need in order to feel better, in order to, to move on. So the, the foundation of all good, good communication is being able to express uh, your feeling, your experience, and your need. Um, if you can do those things, you can, a, as well as connect with the person, understand that, it, that it, this is another person that you're talking to and they have their own feelings and experience and needs. Um, and you need to know those as well in order for you to move forward, in order for you to solve something. Um, it, is, it is worthwhile to call out somebody in, uh, in, in the midst of a game if you need to do so, but I highly recommend that you talk with them individually right. Um, as a as a first strategy, yes, that is the first step. Don't don't do a public call out before talking to them first. And if you are at the point where you need to do a public call out, try not to make it about shame. Right. Uh, try try to make it about um, trying to resolve something that may be going on, not about trying to shame somebody at the table for their behavior. And the last step, which is. The last step for a reason is remove from game. I uh, I go to a lot of uh, Ask a GM panels uh, at cons and stuff like that, and too often remove from game is the advice that Ask a GMs provide. Somebody says like, ah, this player at my table lied on his stats. The, the GMs go, remove him from your game. That's a horrible player. Uh, that's terrible that, that he lied. He shouldn't be in this game. And... Um, I am hesitant to hand out that advice because it is handed out so readily. However, um, I will also say that having toxic players, mm-hmm. having somebody who is making a truly miserable experience for the other players at the table, having somebody who is um, who is not understanding the fun, especially if you've tried all of these other approaches, you've tried to talk to them individually, um, and... Uh, you've tried even even to have you know a whole group conversation about it, and those things haven't resolved. Yes, there is always the option that you can ask somebody that they don't need to be here. This is this is about fun, and their presence, their style, their the way that they're going about this is making it difficult for everybody else to have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, yes, you do need to remove them from your game. Yeah, and that's sad when that happens, but it does happen. And on that note, and on that note, <laughs> hey, um, I am super curious to find out how you felt about our this the last segment. I'm still gonna come up with a better name because I I realized as I read it out loud and said riddle me this, it did sound exactly like a riddle segment. So I might. It's might. also the Riddler. Well, you know. <laughs> you know, it's his it's his sort of slogan. You know. So we need to come up with something that describes this general D and D discussion topic. In it's a fun discussion way. topic. No, <laughs> it's 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 a uh, uh, common questions. No, it's a fact. <laughs> what? Just, just the fact. Frequently asked questions. Oh, 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 gotcha. I don't know why, but I I thought you were trying to say fact, but I mean left that's, the, that's tea the off? joke. <laughs> that was the joke I was making. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't funny. Just the fact. <laughs> we don't need to do this on air. Oh. We can do this like <laughs> what? later. Can discuss stuff this, later. This podcast has already gone this on way too long. This is the only time I talk to you. Oh. <laughs> I refuse. I'm Everything sure. is on air. Um. So uh, this podcast has gone on way too long. So thank you so much for listening. 
As always, you can ask us questions at thenextsessionpodcast.com or give us your feedback, especially on this last segment. Please. Um, you can find us on, uh, what is it, Instagram and Facebook. Instagram. It's written right there. Twitter and Facebook at The Next Session. You can find us on Instagram at Next Session Podcast. Um, and I guess we've gone on way too long, so I'm Adam Jones. And I'm Alyssa Jones. Tune in next time, and we'll help you prep for your next session. Goodbye. Goodbye.